Don't let data prevent you from making a decision. Data should be directional, right? Data is skewed. Data is imperfect. If you're waiting around for, let's say, statistical significance of some test, guess what? It's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. Marketers need to use their guts. Should they rely on data for directional decision-making? Absolutely, because data exists for that purpose. But data is flawed at the end of the day. Data is not inclusive of everything out there. And if you let data dictate whether you're going to make a move or not, you're already behind. Hi, everyone. This is Joshua Hoffman, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and discuss a few things they learned along the way. Today, I have Andy Groller, the president and CEO of Dragon360, an independent digital agency proudly focused on helping B2B brands realize their true growth potential. People first at their core, they are strategy-led experts that build from the audience up collaborating with brands on work that fuels the fire of growth. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me, Josh. So I want to start off um, with your rise through Dragon360. This is a little bit different uh, than a lot of the other guests that we have who are the founders. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in diving in this. And I, I guess I want to just kind of understand how you became the president and CEO, because again, you weren't uh, one of the original founders, correct? Correct. I'm not one of the founders. So I was actually hired as employee number three to replace uh, someone that had left that was running back in those days. So we're talking 2008, uh, the PPC department at Dragon Search, as we were formerly called then. Um, so I came into the company by kind of a coincidental uh, kind of interview where Dragon Search was owned by three uh, different founders and partners who also had their hands in other businesses. Two of them were actually involved in a web dev shop. Uh, I had actually interviewed for that web dev agency, uh, didn't get the job as a QA tester, but the guy that I interviewed with uh, thought of me randomly, I guess, uh, for for the job that did open that was that PPC one, uh, gave me a call. I was like, hey, uh, you want to interview for this? I said, sure. I have no idea what it actually entails because I've never heard of this stuff. But but yeah, why not? Uh, actually had the interview. Uh, I, apparently, I nailed it because I got hired. Uh, and from there, kind of uh, the story continues in kind of those coincidental, ironic, but also kind of, uh, you know, mentality of testing and learning my way to the top. Um, you know, to dive into that a little bit, uh, you know, as I became kind of that employee number three, and as I mentioned, I didn't really have the experience. So I was kind of trial by fire. I had some mentorships and support uh, by the folks internally, those founders, uh, but by and large, kind of had to figure things out on my own. Back in those days, uh, it was heavily around, you know, Google ads and paid search. Google was obviously the predominant thing out there for, for the, the early stages of online marketing. Um, so there's a lot of, of trial and error uh, and also kind of working with brands in that account management, client services, strategy uh, realm of things. So kind of as I got started and, and really kind of found my own individual persona and how I like to operate and work and partner with brands, that's kind of how I just develop partnerships and relationships with those clients. Uh, but also gave me the opportunity to, to really dive in and start to just, you know, throw things at a board and, and see what worked and see what didn't. We have like those milestone clients, those milestone moments in, in marketing that help build up 
uh, an individual. And I had a lot of those along the way, testing out, you know, things that, you know, I don't know, maybe let's just throw up a content campaign and see what happens. Let's try out Facebook ads because there's this new thing. And you start to just get your feet wet. You start to see what works. And you have those moments in time that allow you to see, hey, this is what works. This doesn't for certain brands. And at, over that course of time, that's what also enabled me to branch out beyond just, just paid media, which is what I was overseeing at that time. Um, it, it allowed me to branch out and to see that, hey, I have to kind of dabble in these other areas of digital, organic, content, creative, kind of overarching strategy. And, and through those milestones, through that kind of test and learn mentality, that's how I was able to grow myself throughout the organization up to where I am today. Uh, there's a million things I want to pick out of that. That was that was a great intro. Um, all right. Where do I start with this? Milestone moments. Uh, that's interesting. Is this something that um, is random? Is it something that you discovered? Is it something that someone told you? Like just a little bit more on that, if you can. I think it's more just coincidental. It's it's like you you get presented this this client, right? It's something that you haven't worked with. Maybe it's you know an initiative that you haven't worked with or it's just a change in the digital industry, a new platform, a new channel. And you see it kind of coming into emergence and you're like, you know what, let's, let's go for it. Let's, let's see what happens. Let's kind of figure it out. And it's, it's that just hands-on learning, getting your hands dirty and seeing, does it fit into what we're trying to do as an agency, but also does it fit into what a brand is trying to achieve in its growth trajectory? How do you identify if something is like a long-term strategy? Like say there's something new that's coming in the market. How do you identify if something is a long-term strategy or maybe just a trend? Uh, I think it boils up to like, what are the goals and objectives of the client that we're working with, right? Is it leads? Is it about driving demand? Is it brand awareness? And then kind of pairing that with who is their target audience? Who's their target market? And where do those individuals commune and consume information? So I think, you know, in one sense, you have to have like this baseline of foundational and operational marketing tactics that boil up to that strategy. But you still have to take advantage of like something that might come across as trendy, because guess what? Everybody or at least people in that market that you're trying to achieve are going there. Even if it's a short term fad, there's probably still opportunities there, whether it plays out over the course of time or not. You don't know that, but you might as well just give it a, a, a trial and a test and learn and, and see where it takes you. And then going back to the very first thing that you said, what do you think they remembered about you on that first interview that they ended up reaching back out? Man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think if I look back on it today and I think about all the people that I've interviewed over the course of time, um, I think it's just having that mentality of like hardworking, but not being afraid to just figure it out on your own. It's like a, it's a part hustle kind of mentality, but I don't want to call it hustle because th that's not really what I'm, I'm saying. It's more about that self-learning, that, that self kind of perseverance and confidence at the end of the day that, look, I don't care what's thrown in front of me. I'll figure it out. And if I can't, I'll figure out a way to do that. So now that you're the president and CEO, um, although you're not, it, it, you're not entrepreneurial in the sense of that you started the company, but obviously there's a, a lot of entrepreneurialness that needs to get you to that point and then keep you there. Um, do you think that's something that maybe they identify? Like, obviously they didn't know you were going to be president and CEO of the company, but do you think that there's something that obviously guided you to that path that they also saw in that first interview? Yeah. I, I mean, I think so. I mean, that's obviously I, I am where I am today because of the rise and 
spirit that you just described, right? I have to lead the brand. I have to lead the agency and I have to have those intangibles that, you know, don't just create new business, but creates leadership that the team can hopefully rally behind and create leadership of their own internally and, and externally with the clients that we work with. And then uh, again, speaking of where you're, where you are today, uh, you mentioned, you know, like test and learn, and that's something we've actually talked about before. Um, can you just go into de- more detail of that? Yeah. I mean, having that as a core function of your mentality is just key to success in any industry, I think in personal life. Um, but it's especially true here where we want our dragons to really push the needle, really kind of put their fingers and and out there and and see what works, right? And not be afraid of this fear of failure, um, both internally and individually, but also with our clients, right? Yeah, we have to uphold ourselves to hitting our marks, hitting our KPIs and, and hitting our goals and objectives. But if you don't continue to iterate, if you don't continue to test and learn your way forward, like digital is an ever changing thing. If you're not having that as like a core component of your individual traits, you're probably going to get left behind both as an agency, but also as an individual. And the same goes for life, right? You don't know what life's going to throw at you. You need to be able to think on your feet. You need to be able to test and learn your way out of situations, but also test and learn what is going to drive you forward. Um, So I think it's just that innate ability, but also just that core function and trait that we look for in individuals and the brands that we want to work with. Can you teach it? Uh, It's hard. It's really hard to teach it. Um, I think it is a unique trait that a lot of people have. I think it's not so much about teaching it, but rather tapping into it and getting an individual or entity to to move past that fear of failure. So then uh, I'll jump over to, because I think this kind of can relate to hiring. Is there anything that you look for in the hiring process, whether it's relative to this um, you know, the, the test and learn or anything else in, in hiring that you look for? I mean, skills and expertise obviously is always going to be like that core component, but there's a lot of people out there that can talk a good game, but they can't walk a good game. Um, so I, I look for the skills. I look for the quality, the expertise, you know, the intangibles there on top of that are going to be, you know, are you a self-starter? Are you proactive? Do you have perseverance? Do you have confidence? Um, how well can you articulate those thoughts? And I'm not saying like to be the perfect speaker out there that, you know, is going to stand at a podium, but rather, you know, do you have confidence when you're talking to somebody? Can you think on your feet? Because those are the situations you're going to get thrown into, whether you're working with clients or just internally behind the scenes, you got to think on your feet. You got to be able to move the needle. Um, so that test and learn kind of thing that I was talking about kind of boils up to that. Yes, please keep bringing the test and learn back in. <laughs> That'll be the, the title of this, uh, clearly the title of this podcast. Um, any any examples of a bad hire and, and why, what went wrong and why? Uh, I don't know if I have any specific examples. I think a lot comes back to, you know, in our industry, we have many individuals that have XYZ skills listed on their resume or on their LinkedIn profile. They say they can do a great job. And it doesn't mean that they are not capable of doing that job, but I think we look for a different caliber of individual. We look for proactive dragons. We look for dragons that are going to grab the bull by the horns, fire starters, right? Igniting that growth Um, and not order takers, not people that are going to sit back and and wait to be told what to do. We're looking for self-starters. So, you know, as far as bad hires are concerned, 
it's it's probably a couple of individuals, if I look back, hindsight being 2020, that talked a good game, bought into it. But when push came to shove and we really kind of started to work together, you know, it just didn't work out. And it was probably good for them, too. Um, I'm, I'm the first to tell anybody that I work with, that we hire, you know, this is not necessarily the place for everyone. And that's OK. If you want to go somewhere else, I will back you 100 percent of the time. I will help you get that job if that's the case because I care more about you as an individual and, and your kind of fulfillment at the end of the day. You, you keep calling them dragons, uh, which I love. And, you know, what I hear in that is obviously you work and you spend time and focus on the culture. Um, and I know that work-life balance is important for you. So I guess the question there would be, you know, how do you implement a good work-life balance in your culture? Yeah, I mean... We have, you know, perks and benefits, unlimited PTO, obviously, like kind of some of those standard things. But, you know, as a culture, to your point, like work-life balance is so important. You spend X amount of hours working in a given week, but you have so many X amount of hours outside of that. And everybody has their own passions, their interests, things like that. Um, I mean, I think it also changed over the course of COVID. You know, pre-COVID, we were primarily an in-office team. Uh, you know, we're based out of the Hudson Valley of New York. So a lot of our employees were local um, at that point in time. COVID didn't necessarily change who we were in our hiring strategy. We were actually moving remote first, even before COVID. Um, but what it did change is kind of that dynamic of having to do a lot more things over virtual as our team grew, as our team got diverse as far as location is concerned, and obviously the impact of COVID itself. So those kind of work-life balances kind of shifted probably to the positive where people were virtual. People were able to take breaks, you know, hey, I have an errand to run. I have to go pick up my kid. I mean, I'm speaking personally in that regard. I have to, you know, our kids are in school, so I have to, you know, help out my wife in that regard. But there's that understanding, right? As long as you're communicating, as long as you're, you're realizing that you got work to get done, but at the same time, you have a personal life and people are going to understand that because they're in those same situations. I think as a culture, we benefit from that. Um, and we're able to really kind of toe that line of, of work hard, but also enjoy life. What's it like uh, running a company with kids? Uh, I have a fantastic wife that helps out a lot, um, but it's tough. I mean, I think it's tough for anybody in a position, though. Any, any kind of job when you have kids, when you have a family. You know, there's a lot of things going on, whether it's their extracurriculars or you as an individual having, you know, passions and interests and having to balance all of that as a parent. It doesn't matter the job. It's it's tough, but it's also rewarding. No, that's great. Um, you mentioned changes during the pandemic, especially with culture. Um, is there any other changes that you saw with clients or the work that you're doing or anything else that really changed after COVID? Uh, I think a lot changed from a strat strategic perspective in that, you know, you had salespeople that were historically hammering the phones, right? You had people that were not used to video calls and then all that changes, right? We're talking in video every day. I mean, internally, that was a culture thing that we really wanted to harp on because even if we're not in person, right, we're not face-to-face, -face, there still has to be a face-to-face -face mechanism here. And I think, you know, from a strategic side of things, like I was saying with clients, like on the sales side, you know, people had difficulty making that adjustment. They didn't have the ability to just pick up their phone and, and cold call folks, right? But also in that same shift, you had people moving towards virtual conferences, away from trade shows. You can't meet in person. 
So all of those things kind of facilitated a need to move more of your marketing to digital, but also be kind of a shift away from, you know, lead gen, lead gen, lead gen, and rather, you know, how do I, how do I create demand for my products? How do I kind of create that initiative for somebody to move forward without just throwing up an ebook and, and capturing the person that's going to fill out that form? Um, the other thing that we saw as an agency, because we focus on B2B, is this proliferation of tech brands and SaaS brands that are not just coming to market, but really growing in that market. And I think on the flip side of that, what we're seeing today, I might be getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but what we're seeing today is all these layoffs, all of these shifts, these economic downturns are those same brands that grew exponentially, kind of not realizing that it was a short-term thing and they didn't create sustainable growth for themselves. And they got ahead of themselves and they expected that this is going to continue in that trajectory. But when things got back to normal, along with economic things, obviously, you know, it wasn't real growth. It was it was true growth in the sense of you took off, but it wasn't sustainable. You mentioned, um, you know, working with more B2B clients. Is there anything, you know, is there any kind of difference that you see marketing to B2B clients relative to maybe other um, categories or industries? Maybe agencies are focusing on CPG or whatever it is. Is there anything specific to B2B that you would call out? Yeah. Uh, the first one is the segmentation of your audiences, right? You're talking about, let's say CPG as an example there. You have probably a pretty wide market, right? You have big reach. You have big uh, total attainable market, TAM. Compared to a B2B brand, you have a finite market. You have different audiences, different verticals, things like that, that are part of your ideal customer profile. So it's a more challenging environment than just throwing up some some video ads and you know letting it run wild like you have to be smart with your audience segmentation you have to be smart with your messaging your targeting and things like that the other thing too is in a b2b buying process there's going to be multiple stakeholders you might have one decision maker you might have one gatekeeper and influencer in the process but at the end of the day those individuals probably have to create buy-in within the organization whether that ladders up to a c-suiter or maybe a vp but also has to go through legal procurement depending on the size of the business, right? So we focus on a full range of B2B brands from enterprise behemoths all the way down to what we call kind of SMB mature startups, people that are like 15, 20 million plus ARR. So you have a lot of differences there, but you also have a lot of uh, silos that can happen when you move up into those larger enterprise organizations. And you have a little bit more of the, the nitty, you know, the, the gorilla type of marketing that happens at those smaller ones. Um, so it's it's really interesting to see just that full dynamic there and how much it changes and how much it shifts, especially when you look at it through the lens of like marketing for just, you know, a, a B2C brand that's, you know, retail or luxury or something like that. It's it's just a completely different ballgame. And you mentioned earlier uh, how the, the firm started in search and then has kind of evolved into a full, full service digital agency. So a couple questions there. One, um, what triggered that change? Uh, the trigger of that change was just the emergence of other channels and us kind of just getting into them and seeing, again, that test and learn mentality, seeing what worked and what didn't for our clients at that time, but also seeing what worked for new clients that were coming in the door as we grew as an agency. So we started off as Dragon Search back in 2007 because, to your point, Josh, like 
And as we talked about, search was the, the thing that was digital, right? Google was out there. People were Googling, right? It was becoming an actual term, an actual activity. Um, but then you had Facebook come out, right? You know, I'm old enough to remember Facebook being a, a college thing, right? I signed up for Facebook when I was in college and that was all it was. And then all of a sudden, you know, other people were getting involved, other communities, other demographics, and then they released ads. And at that point in time, you're like, okay, here's another advertising network. How do we get involved? Oh, people are using this to engage with other uh, individuals, network, right? Networking and, and word of mouth has always been a core component of, of marketing. And now it's just moved to digital. Uh, how do we get involved in that? So that's, you know, as we started to see that, we started to realize that our name of Dragon Search was limiting in what we were actually doing. And that's why we rebranded to Dragon 360 about five years ago, because we were doing more than search. Our name was holding us back, but we were also now taking a more 360 degree view of how do we grow a brand through engaging with their prospective buyers, their customers, and really having that full scale kind of mentality of, of impacting the brands and their bottom lines that we were working with. So now that you have, you know, all these services and you're not just, you know, people aren't just reaching out to you just for search, um, essentially, and, and, you know, between content and ads and retargeting and all that kind of stuff, how do you essentially choose what you're going to attack next for that client? Uh, there's a couple of different variables that come into play there. Uh, one in particular is what are the resources that the brand already has? Do they have another agency that's running creative and content? Do they have in-house resources? Do they have a content person? Um, so it's understanding that landscape that kind of sets the stage for where we can best partner. And even if they do have a creative and content agency, we are completely fine partnering with that brand at the end of the day, because we care more about the success of the individuals over at that brand and the brand itself than, you know, bickering over who owns what part of the pie. Um, so it's understanding that landscape, seeing what's working and what's not looking at benchmarking, historical context, historical performance. And then looking on the flip side of that, you know, where do we want to go with that brand? What is the growth trajectory for them? What are they asking us for from a KPI's perspective and goals and objectives? And what's necessary to move that needle both overall, but also within the budget that we might be talking about, right? Budget is a huge limiting factor in so many things. Can we get down and dirty and create some quick wins? Yeah, sure. But you know, quick wins doesn't drive sustainable, efficient growth over the course of time. You have to work your way up to that. You have to be smart with your decision-making. Um, so it, there's a lot of factors that come into play. If a, fir, if, a, if a client or a potential client has just a lower budget, um, are you getting creative? Like, how are you approaching that? Are you getting creative? Or are you just kind of turning down that client? What, what does that look like? I mean, we have some minimum thresholds uh, as far as who we want to work with and what they can afford. I mean, for example, one of those thresholds is we typically have a minimum agency fee retainer for like digital advertising of like four to five K a month. Now, if somebody wants to come in and say, hey, I want to, I can only spend four K a month in actual ad spend. OK, if you want to do a one to one of agency fees to media spend, I'm not going to turn you away. I don't know why you're going to do that as a business, but that's totally fine. Like if you want to really work with us, that's fine. So we're going to work with any spend. But agency fees are kind of one of those qualifying factors as well as just understanding, you know, what are their goals and objectives and are they realistic, right? You can, you can do a lot with a crappy product, but you can only sell, sell that product so well and so much until it kind of, you know, peters out.
Uh, I'm going to, before we kind of get to the last questions, um, I want to take a couple steps back and, and you mentioned uh, working specifically in B2B, how there's a lot, typically a lot more steps to get to the decision maker. And I guess the question I wanted to ask then was, um, how do you get to the decision maker? Uh, you got to warm up the audience, right? If you're going to go in and try to sell to a CMO, a CFO, VP of finance, you know, if we're talking like an AP automation tool, you're going to be banging down a door that's just never going to open, right? Those people are busy. They have their own objectives, their own responsibilities internally. So you have to kind of warm up that audience. You have to still reach them, but don't define success as, you know, getting that individual through on a contact form. Like that's just not how businesses operate. That's not how B2B buying decisions are made. Do they happen that way? Yeah, sometimes, but they're not going to happen that way 99% of the time. You have to be working with and trying to influence those other individuals that your product or service or solution affects, right? How are you going to resolve their everyday challenges, the challenges that they are either tasked in figuring out a solution to because that's what's being asked of them in the organization or, you know, ways that they can increase their own efficiency, their own personal work-life balance, right? And it's not just about saving time and money. Like every software should do that. That's the purpose of software. It's rather how do you actually impact them individually, but also at scale um, in ways that, you know, kind of translate into time and money, but in a more personal sense, right? Saving time and money through the lens of, hey, pushing through more payments, right? Getting cash faster, if we're talking about like automation in the AP realm, um, but also things like, hey, you know, getting you home earlier, right? Getting you home earlier because you got your work done. Um, things like that. Uh, out of curiosity, what is, you know, for new clients, um, or I guess any clients, what is your breakdown between the inbound versus outbound clients? So what I mean by that is how many, what percentage of the client's are reaching out to you versus you reached out to them first? We are heavily referral based, which is an indication of good work, right? If you get a lot of referrals, it means you're doing something right. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we've seen success in outbound, but a lot of our success has really been in that partnership network that we've created with existing clients who, you know, might leave and go somewhere else. We're typically their first call. Um, or they, you know, refer us to somebody else in their network or vice versa. You know, it's all about creating that partnership. It's all about creating that relationship that, you know, maybe it doesn't lead to something tomorrow, but three months from now, there's probably an opportunity there, whether it's with them individually or them kind of thinking of us when they're talking to, you know, somebody on LinkedIn or in one of their private communities or out for drinks. Is there anything that you do to promote referrals or does good work promote itself? Uh, we try to create strategic partnerships where we can with other agencies and other brands where, you know, they're doing services that our clients might need that we just, you know, we don't want to do internally. Uh, web dev is a great example there. Over the course of the years, you know, we used to do web dev internally. We've gotten to the point now where, it just doesn't make sense for us as, as an agency to do it in-house. We would rather partner with other agencies out there, create strategic partnership agreements where commissions can flow back and forth, um, and also just not be a middleman. Like, we don't want a white label. We believe in full transparency. Like, that's one of our core ethos as an agency. And I don't want to play whisper down the alley. Like, 
look, we're in this together. We're going to do great work together and we're going to have those results together. So why not have everybody up in front? Perfect. Um, and then coming up, uh, just a couple more questions. If you had to teach something to other marketers, whether you're a professor or a podcaster, whatever it is, what would it be? Don't let data prevent you from making a decision. Data should be directional, right? Data is skewed. Data is imperfect. If you're waiting around for, let's say, statistical significance of some test, guess what? It's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen, right? Marketers need to use their guts. Should they rely on data for directional decision-making? Absolutely, because data exists for that purpose. But data is flawed at the end of the day. Data is not inclusive of everything out there. And if you let data dictate whether you're going to make a move or not, you're, gonna, you're already behind. So you have to have that innate feeling of pulling the trigger when the time feels right and not sitting on your laurels waiting for data to tell you differently. Well, for a few seconds, let's dive into that then. Um, what data and reporting tools do you use? I know, I know you, you kind of just poo-pooed data a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I do think at the end of the day, obviously data is important. At least you're pulling them. So uh, yeah, what kind of data and reporting tools do you use? Yeah, I mean, data is typically kind of relying on the client. So, you know, because we're in B2B, clients are going to have Marketo, Eloqua, HubSpot. They're going to have Salesforce and many or, uh, brands. Um, on our side, then, we use different tools such as, obviously, we use Google Analytics. I'm not a big fan of GA4. Uh, I think that's kind of universal feeling for many other agencies and, and marketers. Um, but we do do and use GA. Uh, we also use different dashboard tools, uh, Google Data Studio, we use Funnel.io, where we kind of are able to pull in and integrate and aggregate uh, the various data sources, especially on the paid media side of things. And last question, uh, I see there's a few books in that bookshelf behind you, as well as more importantly, the bobbleheads that we talked about, more importantly than that, the Phillies bobbleheads. Um, but any books or recommendations, uh, or excuse me, uh, book or podcast recommendations? That you have. Uh, I mean, I'll go shameless here. Shameless plug of we also do our own podcast called Digital Banter. Please, so yeah. feel free to tune into that. Uh, but I think one of the books that I really enjoyed uh, reading, this is a couple years ago, but I still go back to it, is called Extreme Ownership. Um, it's a non-marketing book, but it's put, it was written by two uh, ex-Navy SEALs that are now in kind of consultative leadership. Link, right? That's Jocko's book. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, that one's great. I mean, I think you you just have that ability to like not just read the theoretical like oh this is leadership this is about ownership uh, of accountability and things like that but there's like real tangible uh examples in there both for them as marines but then the translation of that into different businesses um and i think that's just a great book for anybody that is kind of moving into that leadership position but at the same time i think it can be completely applicable to everyone at any agency at every organization because accountability goes up and down the corporate ladder and so does kind of management right you can manage down if you're in a c-suite position but there's also the need to manage up to those above you and ultimately have that win across the board have that partnership create those synergies but create those uh relationships that that bring success He's a great uh, podcast host and guest as well. So every that everything that he puts out, uh, Jocko's great. I, it's like two arm lengths away. Otherwise, I would have proudly uh, put it in front of you. Um, any other books or any other podcasts real quick? Uh, business related either. Not off the cuff. I mean, I listen to a, a wide range of them. So there's some good ones or some bad ones. It really depends on the episode, I think. 
Yeah, that's yeah, very true. Um, and then as we come to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you um, and anything else you'd like to end with. Sure. Uh you know, you can reach out to me and connect with me on LinkedIn. My name is Andy Grohler. Uh, that's just straightforward on there. Um, and if you're in the B2B space, looking to really drive new growth, new customer acquisition, uh, doesn't matter if you're in tech, SaaS, software, hardware, professional services, we work with a full range of B2B brands. Um, definitely reach out to me. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can come to our website, dragon360.com. Um, love to have the conversation and, uh, you know, even if we're not the best fit for you as a brand, I'm always happy to have those conversations, give free advice and, uh, you know, give that kind of objective forest from the trees perspective. Awesome. I, uh, I really I thought this was a great episode. I really appreciate uh, you coming on and I hope that everyone has a productive day. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.